How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are in the house. All natural. No pesticides. No artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020 KDKA. All right, we've got a guest waiting on the Disc Institute of Pittsburgh Newsline for Doug Oster and Jessica Wallace. You're both from TribLive.com. But let's start off by being that it's a holiday weekend, giving you the opportunity to be the 10th caller to win a $25 gift certificate from Sorgles. 412-922-1020. The number to dial to get your questions answered from Doug and Jess, as always, 866-391-1020. Good morning to Doug and good morning to Jessica. Good morning. I am Doug Oster from the Tribune Review and EverybodyGardens.com. And I am horticulturist Jessica Walliser. And before our, we get to our guests, we have two quick uh, business items to go over here. I will be holding the 15th annual plant swap and giveaway today at 11 a.m. at Sorgles. Bring your labeled plants, nothing invasive. And know that you have to carry them from the parking area. You cannot park by by the building. There's going to be tons of people there. Park up in the field. Walk your stuff down. It'll be okay. We're going to do some trading. Then I'll have a bunch of Limbaugh Legacy Potato Top Tomatoes to give away to. Today, 11 a.m. to noon. And I will be at Garden Dreams Urban Farm and Nursery in Wilkinsburg on June 10th at 11 a.m. And I'm going to be teaching you how to make a really cool Hypertufa planter bowl. Hypertufa is, uh, it sort of looks like concrete, but it's super lightweight. And it's only $10 to come and learn how to make these. You can find out more information about the class or sign up at mygardendreams.com or call the farm at 412-501-FARM. That's 412-501-FARM. It's not just tufa you're making. It's, it's hypertufa. All right. Bum, bum. So excited to introduce you to our guest. Uh, Marion Wilburn is the author of Big Dream, Small Garden. And Jess, this is one of my favorite garden books ever. Now, listen, I know this is saying a lot because you read a lot of garden books I and do. get a lot of garden I books, do. but you don't always get very excited about them. But I know why you love this one. And we're going to start with Marianne. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Doug. And and let me tell you the reason why Doug, I think, is so excited about this, Marianne, about this book in particular. It's because you keep it real in this book. It is not about fluff and making a garden that looks like Sissinghurst. It is about making a garden that suits your backyard, and it talks about the you know the problems that you're going to face and things in a really real way. And we both love that. And I love the honesty, the way that you wrote this. Uh, it is just a joy to read. And I was actually reading some out loud to Jessica before we came on. <laughs> we were laughing. Yep. Let's... Oh, that's great. It's terrific to hear. Yeah, I'm hoping to I'm hoping to appeal to a lot of people who are looking at their garden space and feeling like they can't they they're feeling a little inadequate like they can't do it as good as they see and I just want to get them out there and saying yeah you can do it it's okay <laughs> let's go back to how it started let's go back to 2008 talk a little bit about the genesis of coming up with the project 
Yeah, I um, I had uh, experience, or my husband and I had experienced having to move to. Uh, we lo- we lost our house during an economic uh, issue early, early in you know in two thousand one, and we were thrown into what a lot of people were thrown into, which was sort of feeling trapped in the house that we ended up in, and. and needing to do a lot of renovation and no garden. And uh, slowly through that, I started uh, gardening that space and, and, and enjoying it. I, w- I was already gardening a lot, but really working in that space helped to make me realize that you don't have to have that perfect space. And at that same time, I was writing garden column, and I was touring a lot of gardens of a lot of really wealthy gardens, really high-end gardens. And the difference between what you, I was seeing and what I was creating was just such a night and day thing. And I really realized I had to get past trying to create something that was unattainable for me, use some of those ideas and get energized by them and apply them rather than than dwelling in this place of, well, I'm not going to do it right now until I get my until I get my um, my perfect place, my dream house because we didn't know when that would be and and in fact the house that we thought we would move out of in about 3 years and move on to another one we we weren't not able to move for about 10 years so i i really wanted so much to appeal to people who are putting it off and saying i'm not going to do it right now because i, I we just don't live in the right uh, we don't right, live in the right space and that was how I, I, I started thinking about it. And actually, in the very beginning, the book, when I, when I pitched it to, um, and to publishers, was uh, Gardening for the 99%. <laughs> it was Gardening for Everyone Else. And I knew that that title probably wouldn't be taken on, um, but it, it was. It was. It was for everyone else, and it wasn't to um, start class war or anything like that. It was just to say... You know what? There's a lot of us out here, and we're trying to have a great garden, but we have really serious resource issues, and they go. Sometimes they go beyond just money. They go beyond. You know, they're mental too. Like I can't do that. I'm not in the right place. I don't have enough money. I do, you know all these different things to try and get people to move past that, and and not just small gardens. Even people on just very difficult bigger spaces. Um, so that's that's where it sort of started. I think I talked to you about it, Doug, a while back. Yeah, we I? were you and I were sitting in a garden in Los Angeles, actually, and you gave me that title talking about what the book was going to be. And I, of course, absolutely loved it. And so it's exciting to see, you know, to hear about it two, three years ago and then to see it come to, to fruition. Uh, another reason I love the book is... Uh, we get to recognizing resources, finding all sorts of stuff uh, around that you can use to make your garden. We've got just a little bit of time left before we go to break, then we'll come back and talk to you. But talk about recognizing resources. Yes, I think we close our eyes to so many things around us because if we're looking at magazines, if we're we're looking at um, different media things, we feel like it has to be just like this. 
I want a brick patio. It needs to look like that. And so we close our eyes to the resources that are actually maybe right around us that we could use to creatively create um, the same sort of look, just a little bit differently. And I try and help people to see those um, in a section of the book. Uh, and things like um, things like using, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, different stones or bricks or recycled, repurposed materials that if you are walking down the street and you see somebody's finished a deck project and they always have, people always have lumber left over and a lot of neighborhoods especially, they have to get rid of the lumber, is going up and asking and saying, are, I'm, you know, sorry to bother you, but are you going to, you know, are, do you have a use for that extra lumber? And it, or going up and asking if somebody's having, um, if somebody has a few bricks left over. All right, we need to take a little break. We'll be right back with Marianne and all talking all about Big Dreams Small Garden. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. This Radio 1020, KDKA. Hey, Shelly, a winner from Chess Week of that $25 gift certificate from Sorgos. And we have got a gift certificate still to come from the good people at Janoski's. If you have a question for Doug and Jess, 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access at KDK.com. Next hour, it is the Coons Cooking Hour. Spring graduation parties and showers and a whole lot more to get to today as we begin the picnic season. That's less than an hour away. But right now, back to Doug and Jess and their very special guest on the Disc Institute of Pittsburgh Newsline. We are talking this morning with Marianne Wilburn, who's the author of a great book called Big Dreams, Small Garden. And um, one of the things, Marianne, actually there's three things that were, I was, you know, reading this book and I was like, these three things here are, you're not going to find these in any other garden books. And I want to mention these, sort of my three favorite things about the book. The one is the basic guidelines sections that you have in that design section in the middle of the book, which is just sort of little usable tidbits for people about things like basic guidelines for containers or building pathways or seating areas. I love that they're little bits of um, usable information. I also love throughout the book that you have these, uh, the pages are green and they are exercises that walk the reader step by step through sort of designing and creating their own space. Mm -hmm. And then at the the end of the book is the hard truths, which is the reality part. So, you know, those three things put together uh, really make this a special book for me. And where did they all come from? What made you decide to put those in there? Well, um, I... I think that it's really important when you're giving people an idea of where they've got, you know, where you want them to go in that garden journey to to be very, very truthful with them. Because gardening is incredibly worthwhile. It is one of the best things that we can do with our lives, really, but it is with our hobby time and all of that. But it's also hard work. And if you continue to say, it's easy, it's one, two, three, and then people hit that work level, they're liable to, and, and not know that it was coming, <laughs> they're liable to, to not, uh, you know, want to continue. So I think it's important to be um, kind about it, but also be aware of what needs to be done out there. And I wanted to, I wanted to do it with a little bit of humor. Um, because again, it's it's incredibly worthwhile. I know you guys agree with that. This is a really great thing that you're doing out there. 
but it's it's important to get that to to think about maintenance when you're starting a garden because when you get out there and and, and start putting all these dreams into 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 action and then you don't really realize what you're creating for maintenance it can be a real chore for you so that was important to me and i also i didn't want to get too fussy with you know too much step by step because that tends to turn people off after a while it's just you know too many steps to follow but i wanted to give just an overview of you know how to approach that process so people can get their 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 thoughts in order and 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 approach it somewhat methodically uh, Marianne, where can people get the book? Where is the best place for them to get Big Dream, a small garden? They can get it at their local Barnes & Noble, or they can get it on Amazon, uh, and it's available at, uh, It's available now. How about yeah. at smalltowngardener.com? Is that a place yes. you can get Oh, it? of course, yes. You can get it through through my website at smalltowngardener.com, and uh, that's, yeah, I, I forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We love the book, and uh, every gardener out there should should read this. Thank you so much for getting up early in the morning on Sunday and being part of the show. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Thanks, right. Marianne. Thank Take you. care. Yeah, what a fun book. It is. It's it's really um it's it, what I love so much and we mentioned this in the first segment was that it keeps it real. It keeps it real. She's a little pie chart in there which is all the truth about <laughs> the gardening and all the truth about this book. You know, the first pie chart is is what we think a garden is going to be, which is 75% creation and 25% maintenance, right? And then a, a little into the process and the pie chart is 50% creation and 50% maintenance. And then the reality one is that 75% of your time in the garden is maintaining it and only 25% is creation. And that's 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 a hard reality for some people. Well, talking about reality, what a start to the season. You know, this is... Uh, the reality is, is rain. A, it is a great start to the season in a way, but... For somebody like me who put a lot of tomatoes in last week before yeah. I left for London, I had to get them in. I'm, you know, concerned certainly about fungal issues with a kind of a cool, wet start to the season, and especially for tomatoes and patients and other plants. Yeah, and this is this is the exact kind of season that we really gar- we gardeners really need to start paying attention to the possibility of fungal issues. When we have wet, cool springs like this, it's just basically putting the welcome mat out for the blights and botrytis and and other fungal issues. So if you are worried about them, now's the time to take action. Make sure your tomatoes are well mulched with something like straw or a high-quality compost uh, to keep those fungal spores from splashing out of the soil and up onto the leaves. And and the other thing for tomatoes, and I talk about this a lot, is succession planting them. And it really, I've had so, so much success doing this where this crop here could get fungal issues, early blight, septoria, leaf spot, but by waiting a week, two weeks, and going all the way into the very start of summer, planting, leaving some space in the garden and planting a little later and tomatoes that come a little earlier, then uh, you can beat those fungal diseases. Yeah, so go out and plant some t- a couple of extra tomatoes on July 4th, you know? All right, listen, we've got a full, wide-open phone bank. So if you have a question for Doug and Jess, now would be a great time to pick up the phone and give us a call, 866-391-1020, or dollar bank instant access at kdk.com. Next hour, it's all about spring parties, such as graduations, baby showers, all sorts of wonderful things as we get into the picnic season, this being Memorial Day weekend with Joe and Frank Dentisi, Jim Meredith here, Heffron Tillett sends your money in you, then the Coons Market Black and Gold Sunday show at 11. 
Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020 KDKA. All right, 10th caller right now wins a $25 gift certificate to Janoski's just in time for the Memorial Day weekend and picnic plans. Strawberries, strawberries, strawberries. Get out there and say hi. They open at 8. Uh, 8. 66391020 is the number to reach Doug and Jess, but to win that wonderful gift certificate and be the 10th caller, 412-922-1020. Join me today at Sorgles for the 15th annual Plant Swap and Giveaway. It's 11 a.m. to noon today at Sorgles. Bring labeled plants, nothing invasive, and know that you'll have to carry them from the parking area. We'll do some plant trading, and then I've got some Limbaugh Legacy Potato Top Tomatoes to give away. That is a great tomato. So come out today at Sorgles. 11 a.m. for my annual plant swap. Started that plant swap actually more like 13, 14 years ago, or I mean 16, 17 years ago, and doing it at home with just uh, some people on a garden forum, and then it just grew and it's come grew a long way since grew. then. Yeah, it's going to be nuts, <laughs> and I'm going to see if I can make everyone not trade until 11 a.m. They usually come a half hour early and try and start early. I, don't, I doubt if I'll be able to stop them. It's it's a rowdy group there. <laughs> a little out of hand. You need some yeah. bouncers at the plant swap, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Randy Sorgel, bouncer. There you go. They'll stand there with their arms <laughs> crossed. Yeah. Real serious-like. Leanne, you're up first for Doug and Jess. Good morning. Hi. Yes, how, good morning. How are you doing? I had a question about wood ash. We burn, uh, I would burn all winter, and we have a lot of wood ash. And I wanted to know what I could use that for for fertilizer. Is there any plants or trees that really like the ash from a wood burner? Okay, so this is something people used to do way back when. They used to always take their fireplace ashes and put them out into the garden. But the deal is we know a lot more about soil chemistry than we used to. And one of the things about wood ashes is is they're very, very alkaline, and they can impact your soil health. If you use even just a little bit too much of it, you'll tip the pH scales and make a, a really unwelcome environment for a lot of plants. So rather than putting the wood ashes directly on the garden, we recommend that you put them into the compost pile mix them with other ingredients, let them fully compost, um, and then spread that compost in the garden. How much, though? How how many? Not, not yeah, a lot of wood ash. Yeah, if you burn all winter long, that is way too much wood ash, unless you have a gigantically huge, huge compost pile. Just throw pile. like a half inch in and then a bunch of normal stuff and then maybe another half inch yeah, here and there. Yeah, just yeah. Just, just every now and then here and there, because otherwise you really do risk, um, you know, really harming your plants and, and affecting that soil health. So just use them on the compost pile and even then in limited quantities. All right. Thank you for the call. Let's move on now to Jim. Hey, Jim, how are you? Good. Good morning, Doug and Jessa. I look forward to your show every Sunday morning. Well, that makes one of us. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. I, I do have a question. I have, I have a cactus. It's a potty cactus, but I keep it outside even in the wintertime. But I get black ants on it, and I've, I've put borax on it, and I don't know if that's such a good idea because the you know, it worked last year, but I don't know if that's contaminating the soil at the same time. Yeah. 
Um, first of all, you have a cactus that's in a container outside all winter long? Prickly pear. Oh, yeah. It blooms every spring. It's blooming right now. Okay, so it's they're... got all the big buds on it now. All right, so there's sort of paddle-shaped uh, sections of the cactus. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's a prickly pear cactus. Um, yeah, so borax, I, if, the, if the plant's outside, I really wouldn't worry about the ants because they're not harming the plant in any way. They just sort of have probably maybe set up shop in the in the pot because they know it's a safe place to live. So they probably have a colony uh, down in the soil, which is not detrimental to plants in especially, any way. Especially in a cactus. Right, exactly. Nice and dry. Exactly. So I wouldn't worry about them too much. Now, if they're, you know, if you move that container inside and you get the ants in your house, it's a, a totally different story. Even then, I don't usually recommend, uh, you know, straight borax ever sprinkled on plants because an ant's not going to pick up borax uh, as it is, you you do this thing where you mix it with sugar and then the, the ants are attracted to the sugar and sometimes they take the borax and that's how you control them, not just okay. by using straight borax. Um, if you ever do that, though, you have to be very careful on what thinking what else would want sugar. Exactly. So if you're outside is not a great place to do that, because if you have dog or cat or, you know, some other wildlife right. that's attracted to that sugar... Um, that could become problematic. So you, you could make a little trap, just drill some very small holes into a can and put it in there big enough so the ants can get in, but nothing else could get in, too. Oh, that's a real good idea. Yep. Thank you. Okay. All, All right. right. All right. Good, good luck. luck to you. All right, Hazel. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I was able to winter over ivy geraniums, and there are pretty long and i was wondering if i cut some of that off will that encourage more blossoms yeah they get leggy like that it's no problem cutting them you know give them a little haircut and you could actually pot up those cuttings into some soil and they'll probably root for you they root really easily so yeah cut it to the shape you want don't take more than like a third off um how long are they like like how big are we talking here how big are the plants uh, they're about 12 inches long yeah you know cut off three four inches and get it outside it'll get stocky and uh how did you overwinter them just find the window still in the kitchen nice good now you don't have to spend money for more of them and they'll go they'll go crazy outside right now well i'm going to spend more money <laughs> well, they'll be happy to see you, and they'll be glad to take your money. Yeah, you got to get some more plants out there. What are you going to buy? What are you going to go? What are you going to add to your garden? Some more geraniums. All right, sounds good. Go. That's great. Thanks, Thanks so much for the call. All right, let's, let's take one more call before the break. Let's go to Joan. By the way, we have lines available. Took care of a lot of calls this segment, so if you want to get through, now be a good time to call eight six six three nine one ten twenty. Hey, Joan. Good morning. Thanks for holding on. Good morning. I have, a, I have a question about an insect that I'm not sure what it is, but I've found them when I've been digging in, the, in the, my flower garden. They're about a half an inch long and about a quarter of an inch wide, and they're real rounded on the top. They almost look like they have a, a shell on. And last night I had um, some compost laying on, on cement, and when I lifted the bag of compost, there was a cluster of these insects, like about a six-inch radius of these insects. I just wondered if you could have any idea what they would be and what can I do with them. What color are they? They're kind of um, grayish-brown. See, I'm guessing like little potato bugs. That's, I'm just, yeah, but she said a half-inch long. That would be a big potato bug. 
Well, I'm just, that's what I'm visualizing. Do they curl up into a little ball when you disturb them? Um, if, if you, I tried spraying them oh. yesterday with, uh, um, I had an, some ant spray and, oh. and they didn't mind that at all. <laughs> okay. So here's, it, th- there's an important lesson here in what, in what's happening. So this is, uh, you know, just because you see an insect in the garden or outside or wherever does not mean automatically that they're bad and they deserve to be sprayed and that these were not eating your plants. You did not see them chewing on foliage, destroying flowers or anything like that. They are, I can guarantee you, if they were under that bag of of compost or on the soil, they're probably a decomposer. So they're helping to break down organic matter, which eventually goes on to feed our plants. So they're probably one of the many, many species of good insects that live in our garden. So it's a really good, you know, I'm glad you called because it, it leads to a bigger lesson and a bigger message, which is that the vast majority of insects that are in our garden are good for the garden and they're good for our plants. So unless you see it physically actually attacking a plant, it's nothing to worry about. Um, and, and it could be some type of ground beetle, which are really good at eating slugs, uh, which is a, obviously a good thing. Even if they are those little potato beetles or pill beetles, pill bugs, sometimes people call them, those guys are also primary decomposers. They help break down that organic matter. So most of the time, the insects that we find are, are not much to worry about out in the landscape. You know, nature sets up a really good balance. Yep. And it you know we've just been taught from television oh totally right that, like yeah, every bug every insect is is bad but when we're in the garden we're not thinking that at all no i'm you know? not at all and it's it's a startling fact for a lot of people that less than 1% of the identified million species of insects on this planet less than 1% are harmful to people or plants 866-391-1020, Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdka.com. Congratulations to Nancy from Oakdale. She doesn't have to go far to spend that $25 gift certificate at Janoski's out there in that great community of Clinton. Coming up next hour, graduation spring and outdoor parties. Our topic of conversation with Joe and Frank Dentisi, and then have for intelligence your money and you. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020 KDKA. Time again for Mrs. Know-It-All. That's Denise Schreiber, Greenhouse Manager at Allegheny County Parks. How are you, Denise? Uh, Good. I wish it would quit raining. I need to do work outside and it won't quit. Yeah, I hear (laughs) you. Yeah. You know, uh, I I don't put a a lot of stock into the uh, Farmer's Almanac predictions, um, but I was reading... Uh, I think on the Weather Channel's app, um, that we have very little El Nino uh, activity this year. And so I took a look at the Farmer's Almanac. So usually when we have an El Nino uh, going on, we have mm, warmer-than-normal temperatures, including a warmer-than-normal winter, which obviously the past two winters have been, while it hasn't killed off the bugs, it's been great for our plants surviving. Um, this winter, I'm not so sure we're going to get that lucky. Uh, I'm seeing average or below average temperatures for most of the summer and more rain. Unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately. We always need rain. We just don't need never-ending rain. I yeah, we had, a, we had a season a couple of years ago, remember, where mm-hmm. April and May, it just never stopped yeah. raining. Yes. Yep. 
It sounds like we're we're headed for that. Uh, well, we are. We're almost at the end of May already, and it's it's definitely been uh, our fair share of rain for sure. So, thank you as always, Denise, for joining us on the program this week. And uh, do we have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, but real quick before right. we get to those calls, Doug's got a big day out of Sorg. That's right. Fifteenth annual plant swap and giveaway today, eleven a.m. to noon at Sorgles. Bring some labeled plants, nothing invasive, and we're going to have some fun. I've got some free Limba Legacy Potato Top Tomatoes. That's a big ugly Pittsburgh heirloom, and you can get one for free today at Sorgles, 11 a.m. for the plant swap. Art, good morning, and welcome to the program. Hello, hey there, Art. Oh, yeah, good morning, good morning. Uh, Jessica. Um, this is Art. I was uh, at the uh, container seminar you had at Sorgles this past week, and you ended up talking to my daughter, who knew somebody who did. Okay. But, uh, my my question uh, is, uh, I have a northern spy apple tree that it blooms and everything else, but it I can't get it to be edible where you can eat the apples. Okay. What 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 about the apples makes them inedible? Taste or bugs or what? Well, I, I, it's it's more like uh, they turn. Uh, they turn, but I I don't know. Uh, sometimes uh, if it's bugs or, or you you just can't eat them. Okay, so they grow into sort of full sized apples, but they usually have you know they're just not good looking apples, or they've got a worm in them, or something like that. It's not the apples are actually being formed on the plant, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It blooms okay. uh, in there in the spring and all, and then uh, got ya. Okay. It, it, so there's two major pests of apples here in Pennsylvania: the codling moth and the apple maggot. And they're both, uh, the apple maggot comes from a little fly, and then the codling moth makes another type of worm that gets in the bottom of the apple. So there's two different things. If you have just one or two trees in your backyard, there's two different traps that you can get to hang in the tree. Now, it's a, uh, you can go ahead and hang them up both now. We've, we've started already into the season of both of these insects, so they're not going to give you a, as great a control as they would had you put the traps up earlier in the season. But uh, for the apple maggots, there's a red, uh, it looks like a red Christmas ball, basically, and it's covered in a non-drying glue. And you hang about two or three of these up in your apple tree shortly after bloom drop, uh, petal drop, and you leave them in the tree. And the adult apple maggot flies are attracted to this red sticky sphere, and they get trapped on there, and then obviously they can't go and lay eggs in the garden. Uh, For the codling moth, there's a pheromone trap, which, you know, pheromone is the the mating uh, lure and uh, chemical, basically, that the insect produce and so you can buy these paper they're sort of shaped like a like a prism and uh, they have the pheromone in there and it att- it attracts and then the and then traps the adult codling moths so you can get you know one of those per tree as well and you can in an orchard they use them just to sort of monitor their spraying program but in a home garden where you only have a few trees they're actually really effective at controlling both of those pests so you can get them from a couple different um, online sources uh, definitely Peaceful Valley Farm Supply has them. Peaceful Valley Farm Supply's website is groworganic.com. Uh, and they also have them, I think, at Arbico Organics, which is I another you, website. I bet you they'd have them at Sorgles. I don't know. I've looked for them there. I haven't seen them, but it's certainly worth asking mm-hmm. at your local garden center as well if they carry the apple maggot traps and um, codling moth traps as well. So that's a good way to get a grip on those pests without doing a whole lot of spraying. We're coming back to wrap up the hour with Doug and Jess next. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. Hey, Russ.
News Radio 1020, KDKA. I think I'm going to do a show like this all the time. Just I'm, take, taking, I'm taking a picture, a picture of me. right I got now. My feet up on here. I'm laying back. He's got his looking feet. good. He's reading good. my script. Tell them about what you're doing, Jess. Hey, listen, I'd love for you to come see me. I will not have my feet up on June 10th. I will be working hard at Garden Dreams Urban Farm and Nursery in Wilkinsburg. This is Saturday, June 10th at 11 a.m. I'm going to be teaching you how to make a hypertufa planter. Now, I know that sounds scary and intimidating. It is not. It is a lightweight planter that's based on um, a type of concrete, but it's super light. Uh, It's mixed with uh, peat moss and perlite and some other things so that it's really easy to carry it around. I'm going to teach you how to make them. It's like playing with mud pies. It's awesome. Uh, it's 10 bucks for the class. Super fun. I can guarantee a good time. And you can sign up for it at mygardendreams.com or by calling Mindy at Garden Dreams. And the number there is 412-501-FARM. That's 412-501-3276. Rob, can I get a back rub? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, can I go get you some more coffee, Mr. Oster? <laughs> ay ay You uh, well, Brock, listen, get you me better, a cigar. You better put your feet up now because your feet are not going to be up for the rest of the day at the plant swap. I can guarantee you will be hopping and running you around for that. You will be hopping that. today at Sorgo's, 11 a.m., the annual plant swap. We're going to have a lot of fun there. We always do, and I'll be taking lots of pictures, posting them on Facebook. Take some pictures of Rob giving me the back rub. <laughs> Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to create a better place to garden. And a safer place to live. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours okay stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5g home for details t-mobile prioritizes certain t-mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion